Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm super excited about Christmas this year. We're in a series called Waiting. And before I go into that, I'd like to just ask you today, if you'll pick up one of these cards as you're leaving, I'll have them in hand. If you shake my hand, you're going to get one. And basically, Christmas Eve services, but we're promoting all the stuff that is going on. We've got Tonight, Donna Ulysses, we've got Wednesday night, we've got the skit guys, uh, take opportunity to invite some friends to that. We've got a kid's Christmas program, we've got three Christmas Eve services, and we've got two Christmas Eve morning services here at church. And this I say every year, and I will say it until kingdom come or I am done, uh, that this is the best time to invite people. And people are just waiting for you to invite them. I've got some folks that rent from me that I've invited to our our skit guys. I've got some others that I've invited to our Christmas Eve services. Somebody invited me to their Christmas Eve service, and I said I would, but we've got three. So I think I've got mine booked right now. But this is an opportunity to guide people home to fulfill the vision and the mission of the church, and to extend a, a welcome and say, hey, come sit with me because this makes a difference in my life. And it is so very, very important. If you're joining us online today, do the same thing. Invite people to join you for a watch party or online and, and just gather some friends to say, hey, I watch this on church or at church or listen to this podcast, just in some way connect them. And to make this Christmas, to kind of, if you're struggling with the Christmas spirit or getting into the whole Christmas idea, I would encourage you to get on version and do a Christmas devotional of some type to just kind of bring it in, to, to just have that moment with God. God daily to connect with the Christmas story and what God has done for you. I'm I'm doing the Afri- African Christmas devotion. Doesn't that sound exciting? It just it's a different way to look at the Christmas story from an, an African cultural perspective and uh, and connect with God in a new way. And and in saying all of that. I want to remind you that the message of Christmas demonstrates that God will do whatever it takes. God will do whatever it takes for you to know him better. And that means that there are going to be events and circumstances that are going to be good and bad that are going to remind you that you need God and you need fellowship, you need support, you need the Spirit of God in your lives. But at different times of the year, and maybe sometimes at Christmas, have you ever been or felt forgotten? Maybe you felt forgotten by your kids or your grandkids, maybe by your parents. Maybe you have been left behind at different times or not included or invited into certain groups or fellowships, and you feel forgotten. I just want to encourage you that you will know by the end of this message that you are not forgotten. And as we celebrate the Christmas story, I want you to remind you that be, but long before it was a story, it was a prophecy. And what is a prophecy? A prophecy is a promise that God made 
that he has or will fulfill. And you might ask the question, well, why did God use, or why does God use prophecy? Well, ultimately, God wants us to trust him. God wants us to realize that he is faithful. And so when he uses prophecy, it is telling or foretelling what is going to happen in the future, just to say, see, I told you so. You have anybody like that in your family? See, I told you so. God wants us to know that he has been faithful to every generation. That's a reminder from the very beginning and to the very end that he has been faithful to every generation. But I want you to realize that all of these prophecies were targeted at the coming of the Messiah. Last week I said there were 300 prophecies regarding the Messiah, and in the New Testament, 300 prophecies have already been fulfilled in regard to him, but there are more prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled that maybe we will see, if this is truly the end of all days, that we will be fulfilled in the next few years before maybe some of us die. Now, some of the prophecies that were fulfilled are what town he would be born in, that he would be born a virgin, or or when he would come? What were the circumstances surrounding it? And yet they missed it. And so I think if we're not careful, we can miss those prophecies that will come at the end of time, and we won't be ready. And I want you to realize this as well, that every promise of God is fulfilled in Jesus. They have been, are, and will be fulfilled. Now, I just want you to remind you that the fulfilling of just eight of the 300 prophecies is 10 to the 17th power, which would be 10 with 17 zeros behind that. And that's like a bazillion million. But in reality, I looked this up, so I know it's right on Google, that 10 to the 17th power is 100 quadrillion. So if you want to impress somebody this week, say, you know what 10 to the 17th power, you know what the name of that is? Say 100 quadrillion. That's Q-U-A-D, drillion. And it would be like taking two feet of silver dollars spread over the whole state of Texas, which, by the way, is a large state, and then mixing it all up with a giant mixing blender and then throwing either a red Texas Aggie-colored silver dollar in the center and mixing it all up again, or an burnt orange University of Texas silver dollar in the mix, mixing it all up, and then dropping you blindfolded into that state, and you likely to pick out that one silver dollar. Out of all of them, that would be one in 100 quadrillion chance or 10 to the 17th power. That is just for the likelihood of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 300. Imagine what that would be. Today, I'd like to look at one prophecy, and we're going to look at the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. 
Some To some of you, it's familiar, but these verses that I'm going to go through this morning, verses 1 through 5 to begin with, aren't as familiar. Listen as I read from the English Standard Version, and then I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, because it's a little bit easier to understand. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was brought who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult in the battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. I like the ESV for doctrine, but it's hard to read and sometimes hard to understand. And this passage is particularly hard or difficult. But in the NLT, it kind of sheds more light, easier to understand. Let's look at that. It says, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Ephtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. I want to emphasize this this morning. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not grow, go on forever. Maybe some of you are going through a dark time right now, or you have in the past. I, I call it, I've had a few over my lifetime, the dark night of the soul, where you feel alone, forgotten, and lost. That circumstances or the loss has been so great that your heart aches every day, and maybe you cry yourself to sleep at night. I don't know if you've been there or not. I have. And I'm encouraged by this passage that the darkness will not go on forever. There will be light if you endure, if you are resilient, if you are faithful, that God will take you through it. And and in this passage, God is talking about sending a great light. And and we, as a people, we take light for granted. Like, people came this morning in a first service just to see the decorations and the light. 
We take for granted that when we throw a switch in the morning that the light will come on. The people that, as Isaiah were, were talking to, didn't experience that. They would have to ignite a lamp or start a fire to have light. And it wasn't really bright, but it was brighter than the darkness. And the darkness was was that time without a Messiah, without the Holy Spirit of God, without God in relationship to man as we know him as a father. It was a dark, dark time. Remember, Isaiah's writing the 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in the New Testament, he's talking about in Isaiah, Galilee, and there would be a great light. And Jesus spends a lot of his time in ministry in Galilee. Remember? And and, and Isaiah calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and Matthew says it this way, this is prophecy fulfilled. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Fulfillment of Scripture. We are celebrating the great light this Christmas. We will celebrate the great light when he comes again. And we will celebrate, or we should celebrate with joy at this time, like the harvest. Now, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor at heart. It still amazes me that I'm preaching today. Every time I stand up here, it amazes me because I can remember all our hay rides and fall parties and roasting hot dogs and trying to keep the boys and the girls separate uh, in hay wagons. And you know, nothing ever happens on a hay ride that's not of God, right? Under blankets and freezing and all those crazy things that we did. But there's no harvest like the harvest party. And we are kind of removed from that because we're not, we have, we have maybe one farmer in our congregation that I know of. Some of us grew on, up on farms, but we've never been so dependent on what we brought in as harvest as what they were in Isaiah's day or even in Jesus's day. Everybody had a garden. Everybody lived off the land. Nearly everybody, I should say. But also notice this in verse 3 of that passage, a warrior's homecoming from battle. Now, we've all had our hearts warmed at different times when we were fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan that that we would see homecomings where, where a dad or mom would come home and a little child would not be expecting them and the joy that they experienced and the celebration they experienced in that moment. There would be tears and they'd say, oh, daddy, oh, mommy, and throw their arms around them. We'd be moved to tears just watching them. This is what Isaiah is talking about celebrating that great light that was coming. And, 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 and he goes on, and these are verses that you should be familiar with as a Christian, and, and, and we've sung about even today. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. What he's writing there is the Christmas message that a great light would shine and grow brighter and brighter and brighter 
and that we would know him. And the first name that he is called is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And in the Old Testament, a counselor isn't like a therapist that, that we, we would be handling personal problems and issues and marriage problems and family difficulties like we do today. This Wonderful Counselor would actually, this would have the connotation of being a war counselor. And you would say, why would God put that in the name of Jesus? Why would Isaiah prophesy that? Well, from the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, there has been war between Satan and humanity and God. That war has been going on from the very, very beginning. There's a spiritual war, and so we need this spiritual, wonderful counselor to guide us. And we have that counselor today through the Holy Spirit. Now, in this warfare, I want you to know that Satan works the best in three areas. He, he has three lies, and the first lie is this, lies about who I am, about who you are. One lie is God doesn't care about you. Maybe you feel that today. God, where are you? Why don't you care about me? Second lie, God has forgotten you. That you really don't matter. That you're just another person going down that that uh, human river of life. Just a twig that doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares. And the third lie is that God doesn't really love you. That you don't mean anything to God. Now, God's truth of the matter is this. I am worth everything to God. I am worth everything to God. God sent his son for me. That's the truth about God. Another lie is this. A lie about who other people are. I was talking to someone this last week, and and, and she said, I don't like people. I don't like other people. You see, we get this attitude that everybody is out to get me. Nobody likes me. Other people are my enemies. No one cares about me. God's truth is that Satan is our enemy, and every other person matters to God. That doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be placed in abusive or manipulative or drama-filled relationships. We keep them at a distance, but we recognize that Satan is the one that we're combating, and those people are lost far away from God and don't know God and, who, and, and don't enjoy salvation. So we don't have to deal with the drama, but we can love them in spite of themselves. And the third lie is this, the lie about who God is. And what we're looking at today in these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this Mighty God, I am amazed. I, I was thinking this week and, and, and thinking about how I live and how I lead and my relationship with you all. And a lot of times I'm torn and a lot of times I'm torn because to do the right t- things, sometimes I make enemies, sometimes people aren't happy, some people like the way it used to be or like something, that, and, and, and I'm always torn, and I feel bad, believe it or not. But God doesn't feel torn like that. 
He is perfect, holy God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. What he does, he does for his purposes, for his glory. And then we look at everlasting Father, and I love that in our vision and mission statement, that guiding people, leading them to a loving Father, that he is eternal God, always has been, always will be. I was working with some folks this week, and single-parent moms struggle in raising their kids, and they need they need a father in the family. Not only do they need a mother, but they need a father. And the, a lot of kids suffer today because of absent fathers, and, and we don't get that from God. He is the everlasting, eternal Father who is always there, who never forgets you. And, and, and in these names, and finally, Prince of Peace, this is the Prince of Shalom, and I won't drag it out, but I'm reminded how Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, the, the King of Peace, the King of Shalom, and how desperate we are to have Shalom in our lives, that peace, that wholeness, that wellness that that pervades our whole existence. And, and we think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and the third fruit, peace, that we have indwelling us in an anxious and fearful and an uncertain society. And, and in these names, we see the character of God and who he is and who Jesus is to be to us. But that's not all, or the all of Christmas story, of the Christmas story. We see the creativity of God in the Christmas story. Don't we? If you were God, would you tell a story like this? Would you create a story like this where God becomes a frail human baby born in a manger or laid in a manger, born in a barn? Would you tell a story like that? That the lowliest of low show up, the shepherds, and then an evil king tries to kill you? It's a crazy, crazy story. But it rings of truth, doesn't it? And we got to remember that when God tells a story, there is always a surprise ending. I'm reminded of the Moses story. Actually, I say story, and I don't want, I mean, this is a historic, it was a historic event. Moses actually lived. Jesus actually lived. I say story because its plot, its twist, its turns are unpredictable. Here's a baby born in Egypt, a Hebrew baby. They are told to throw and sacrifice all the babies into the Nile River as an act of worship. They place the baby in this little boat and shove it down the river. And then they follow it. And it's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up as a prince of Egypt in the palace, being taken care of by his own mother as a handmaid. And then just at the point that he was going to help take power, he murders a Hebrew or an Egyptian who was was persecuting a Hebrew and he becomes a murderer and he's exiled from Egypt. Then he spends the next 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. 
And then he's called back into Egypt by a burning bush. That's how God chooses. I mean, who, who, who speaks? What kind of God speaks through a burning bush? That's crazy. It's crazy even for me to say it. Then he goes back into Egypt and there's 10 plagues. And the final plague is the death plague. And, and the whole idea of let my people go, no. And they finally are released, and then they're led out of Egypt by Moses. A few million Jews, or a million to two million Jews, heading out of Egypt. And they plunder Egypt, and they take the long way directly into the Red Sea. Well, who does that? And then a pillar of cloud fights for the Israelites against the Egyptians. And the ones that fight through the the pillar of cloud end up in chariots, and they, they, this Red Sea is divided, and the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. That's a crazy story. And then the Egyptians follow, which is even crazier, and then they, the waters go back to the original place, and they are all drowned. That's a creative God. God speaks to us in his character. He speaks to us through his creativity. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. This is what God says. Or Jerusalem says this, and then God speaks. He says, yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Maybe that's how you feel today. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. Have you ever written something on the palms of your hands? Why do you do that? So that you won't forget. God's got your name on the palm of his hand. We see God's creativity in the cross that Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, there are some churches that don't have a cross in their worship center. Did you know that? They purposely don't. If you look around our worship center, we have hundreds of crosses around here. We don't hide the cross. There's no Jesus on the cross because Jesus was taken off the cross and he resurrected from the dead. But when we look at the cross today, we don't see an executioner's device that was the most horrifying death that could occur, we see a cross of hope and of God's love for us. And just as we see the cross as a sign of hope, we should see the manger and the nativity as a sign of hope and of creativity, the creativity of God. And the question today is simply this, do you trust in the character and the creativity of God? While you are 
waiting. Do you trust him? Would you please stand as I pray? Eternal God Father, we are grateful that we can come to you, that we can celebrate Christmas like a harvest party, like a warrior coming home from battle victorious with plunder, that we can take joy and hope that we are not forgotten, that our names are on the palms of your hand. Father, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Father, we take our hope and our joy from you. And Father, as we see the lights of Christmas, we are reminded of the great life, light that came that changed the world. That, Father, no longer that we are in darkness, but we experience the light and the joy of life. Father, in him we hope, in him we are saved, in him we are redeemed, and in him we look forward to the day of his coming. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you come this morning?